You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. episode we'll be talking about the band self-titled album in the room i have rob and ben the band is the second studio album by the band released on september 22nd in 1969 on capitol records is also known as the brown album the genre is roots rock folk rock country rock and blues rock americana producer is john simon and from all music review Wilm rollman the band's first album, music from Big Pink, seemed to come out of nowhere with its ramshackle musical blend and songs of rural tragedy. The band, the group's second album, was a more deliberate and even more accomplished effort, partially because the players had become a more cohesive unit and partially because guitarist Robbie Robertson had taken over the song writing or co-writing of all 12 songs. Though a Canadian Robertson focused on a series of American archetypes, from the union worker to retired sailor, and most famously, the Confederate Civil War observer Virgil Kane in the night that they drove Old Dixie down. As he had been true of the first album, it was the band's sound that stood out the most. The arrangements were simultaneously loose and assured, giving the songs a timeless appeal while the lyrics continued to paint portraits of 19th century rural life. All right, what do we think of the second album well, by the band? If I can take a, a little umbrage with the the opening volley that was all music review, does Canada really have anything to talk about? Like, is it really uh, like American appropriation by Canada who... Like what? What? What is there? Is, do they get a buy because there's a guy from Arkansas on the band? Uh, no, like period. Like, what the fuck are you gonna sing about? Canadian wise, I don't. I don't think that I've ever. I don't even think Rush has touched on like some, like except for uh, twenty one twelve, which just happens to be the Toronto airport, like uh, <laughs> like signal thing. I don't think I can You're recall. Canada doesn't have anything to sing about. I kind of yeah. I, I don't. Uh, I, I'm not trying to you know ruffle any feathers here, but like I don't think it's that. I don't think there's like some sort of Canadian appropriation of like Southern style. Honestly, I don't know if Canada has a style. Oh, so are you saying that <laughs> they they, get they a- can sing about rural yeah. and like backwoods country living because they are from Canada and 
I mean, would, yeah, would, I, would I you think... liken it to like writing an album about like your dramatic next door neighbors? Kinda, yeah, sure. You know, yeah, that 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 <laughs> that, that that makes perfect sense to me. I I, I, I was just it, it was it was strange verbiage uh, because I really don't consider Canada to be like a a super separate country where we are literally connected by land. Okay, I see. So you're not you're just saying that it's you consider them such a neighbor that why couldn't they sure. sing about this kind of stuff? Okay. Yeah. I see it. And they have no It's culture. not like yeah. it's not like they're singing about, you know, um, You can only talk about fries and cheese and gravy so, so much. They're not talking about the potato famine in Ireland or something right. like that and sure. trying to yeah. affect and they're not trying to do I feel like voices um even though Leon Helm is I mean yeah, Levon Le Helm, and he's the one that sings the song from the Confederates' point of view, and yeah. he's from Arkansas. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Our Kansas is better than your Kansas. It's true. Uh, as long as we're taking umbrage with that all music uh, right up, I just, I just, my tiny little point of contention where okay. it said that this album, I agree this album's better than Big Pink. Yay! Me oh, too. No. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I do too. But they said it was because the band was playing as a more cohesive unit. At this point, these guys have been playing together for 12 years. Is there really Are they more of a cohesive unit between 68 and 69? No, absolutely not. I think that was... Uh, yeah, that, that, that's, yeah, probably not. It's probably just that... They've the, been a cohesive I unit. Think that, I do think that the album sounds more realized. Oh, yeah, yeah. And they, maybe that's... He's, they've more, he's, they, they, he's trying to put... You they know, found that their direction. Get, yeah. They know what the band sounds like. Well, where yeah. was, yeah. where was uh, songs from Big Pink recorded? In, well, I guess it wasn't recorded in Big Pink. No. It was recorded in L.A. Okay. Is it same same studio? This was recorded in Sammy Davis Jr.'s house. Hey! Or at least a right. house that they rented from <laughs> Sammy Davis Jr. In, in L.A. Okay, cool. And much like Big Pink, they kind of set up the, like, it was recorded in an actual house, and they set it up to kind of give it the feel of, like, the basement tapes. Like, they wanted it to feel like it was a home-recorded thing. So they recorded it in L.A., but they recorded it in... In a house. In a house. Yeah. yeah. So that's always been a thing ever since, like, bands got enough money to record, like, something nice. Like, nah, I want it to sound like it was out of a garage. <laughs> well, I think, Can I, think I get that Lars snare really the, like, the catalyst for that. Really? Yeah. yeah. I think so. Huh. Like, because like, there was a, like... It wasn't... It was never intended to be released. It was demos that just got passed around the industry types and developed a fan following of industry types and then shared it with people and there's a bit there's like a romanticism to it like this was recorded by these dudes in this house in the in the country you know like they're not part of like the the glitz and glamour polished scene so then you know people tried to recreate that it wasn't a myth but that that like romanticized image i think part of it too is just for kind of convenience of taking your time so if you oh, want totally, yeah. if you want to just sit there and put this mic over there, no, it doesn't sound quite right. When you're in a studio, you're just paying money as you're yeah. experimenting, as you're putting down different tracks. When you have it in in a house or you something can, that you can you can even you can step away from it. You can step away. Yeah. You you have all these options where when you're in a studio, you're you're in a forced location. And you're paying as you're hmm. you're going along. That's Not that they weren't paying really the, good point. the engineers and stuff, but I'm sure right. the engineers are smoking weed with them and eating, you know, dinner and also 
you know, doing whatever. Sammy Davis Jr. somewhere. Just hanging, yeah. just hanging out. He's just hanging out in the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the first time I've heard this album. Oh, really? I've heard the, obviously, the way in some of the other um, songs. I think I was always scared because it's one of those Grateful Dead, Quicksilver, you know. And I had listened to some Grateful Dead It's not that albums. slippery of a slope. I understand, but... <laughs> There's some grit. I'm not, I'm not equating, like, Quicksilver to Quicksand, as if I'm going to get in there and be like, oh, Patchouli is amazing! Man, I like the band's first record. I guess I've got to get into just pointless jam bands now. <laughs> better though because i feel like it's more cohesive they didn't do the covers or some of those what i considered a little more r&b soul songs Mm -hmm. that they had in the first one where i just felt like it was a little off having Um, having there's you know there's there's pluses and minuses to having a single songwriter yeah but like them like trimming it down to robbie robertson taking the lion's share of the songwriting definitely made a more cohesive record these songs sound very 70s like, this is going to be... You think so? When I'm listening to Whispering Pines, it's like every 70s ballads I've, I've ever heard. If you had... The first time I heard the song The Night They Drove Old Dixie Down, I probably wouldn't have been able to tell you what that, century it was written in. That is a different song, yeah. Like, that song, that, that's, it could have been written in the 19th century. It could have been written anytime. Yeah, it could have been written this year. Yeah. Yeah. Cripple Creek just sounds like... Uh... It sounds like Burt Reynolds driving around in a Trans Am, like With full, mu- fooling some mu- people somehow. Like there, there's been a big gag is that's it, happened. Is and it how much of it is that that wah wah clavinet? Oh god, that fucking thing just—it sounds like a combination of someone farting and a bullfrog making bullfrog noises. I think it's cool. It's it it, it sounds like really bad shake weed. Like it's. <laughs> it's <laughs> I can't take it seriously, man. Is this is this pre superstition? Uh, I believe it's. I think it is. I think this is the first use of that, and then it got very into all the funk and soul. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I I'm kind of with Rob though. It's it's very (laughs) off putting, definitely in this song where it just you get like a real goofy vibe. But I understand why they used it. I understand. It's appeal in the song. Because they had one and there was plenty of weed in the house. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> but yeah, there were there were a couple songs that I 
hadn't heard Whispering Pines, like I said, Jawbone and Unfaithful Servant, where they all kind of get this... Um, they remind me of Randy Randy Newman. Yeah, oh, I can I was, see that. Yeah, and and some of these other singer songwriters, even Nielsen, you know, that are going to be coming up in the seventies. And I was I appreciated them um, probably more than I would have initially if I'd listened to them back in the back in the day. Uh, so I I found a lot of good good with it for sure. The sort of harmonies that they do. I find very interesting mm-hmm. the sort of sing-along. Obviously, they're they're sing-along kind of songs, but the way they do the harmonies somehow works in a very we- odd way. And their voices are all unlike, like you know, like blood harmonies. Their voices all are like just like resonating such different timbres. Like their voices are really different types of voices. So when you get that like three or four note chord of like. All these like really unique voices. It, it's a really cool effect. Yeah, and I liked uh, uh, that they put in like a, a lot of uh, organs and even the horns. Like you were you were talking about the horns. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was before we were recording. Yeah. So, uh, oh, an, an unfaithful an unfaithful servant. Uh, like the like the the sweet and sour like moaning horns. Like people were asking like how did you know, how did they get that effect or why did they choose to have that effect of how the horns were played. And the answer is that they didn't choose it. It was it was Garth Hudson who kind of knew how to play horns. Well, he knew how to play saxophone, and he knew his way around other horns. And Paul, uh, John Simon, the producer, who was kind of the same way, and then there were horns around. So it was guys who kind of know how to play horns <laughs> playing, like, whole notes on horns, and that's why the horns sound like they're moaning. <laughs> Which is, is kind of charming. Like, I, yeah. I, I kind of like it. Yeah. Oh, speaking of Levon Home. After a certain point, did not per, uh, perform the night they drove Old Dixie down anymore. He refused to play it. Uh, do you know why? I don't. It's because he disliked the Joan Baez cover of it, and he didn't want to play it anymore. <laughs> 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 and the Joan Baez cover of it actually came on the Kroger radio when I was grocery shopping a few weeks ago, and I think that his reaction was fair. <laughs> she recorded in 1971 so that would have been two years after well i guess you know they, they play it on the last waltz and that's 76 so it's not that he never played it again but yeah yeah I'm... but he he preferred not yeah. because he associated it with a bad cover <laughs> that's oh joan <laughs> that's you, that's you a bad ru- reason though <laughs> ruined this guy's own song for him joan <laughs> It's either a bad reason or the greatest reason to not play a song. Like what? What, what an out! Just, what, a, what a fucking yeah. out! Yeah. I was gonna say maybe he I'm just playing the same words. Your fault. Yeah. <laughs> this was one of my five original records. When I. What do you mean original? I mean like when when I was in like late junior high, I was gifted a like a suitcase record player that uh, my my grandpa found at like a like a garage sale and fixed it up and gave it to me. And so then I went home at this point, no, no one else in the family had any interest in my parents' record collections because it was like, you know, 95 or yeah. six. My dad told me I could pick six records from his collection. They could be my records. And, and he didn't have that many records. He had like a single like milk crate. Uh, and I, I grabbed a uh, queen, the game and, uh, okay. And the band by the band, which I wasn't familiar with, but I thought that those guys on the cover looked cool, and a few other ones. And to this day, I still have that copy of it, and it's one of my all-time favorite records. That's awesome. Yeah. 
That's great. Well, I'm glad we got to it. Is there a name for a band that plays multiple genres, like Ween or something? Where it's, oh yeah, they just there play, should be a word for it, right? Like a con, like they can just switch genres and you like but, a patchwork quilt. Yeah, but it just kind of sounds like them. Yeah, genre bonder bonds, genre bending, genre bending. I would get all these little tastes of these things, and I'm like. Well, that's obviously this came from the band, you know. Yeah, they were that influential. One thing that's cool about not necessarily this album, but this band is like, multiple guys in the band were multi instrumentalists, including like Levon the drummer, and then Richard Manuel also knew how to play drums. So like we're listening to Jemima Surrender right now, and it's Richard Manuel on drums, and Levon Helms actually playing guitar. Neither one of those guys was that awesome at the instrument. So you kind of have this, like, charmingly clumsy performance on those instruments. And I, th- I think kind of, for the, at least the way they did it, it, wor- it would be so easy for it not to work. Yeah. But uh, like, especially like, some of the drum fills on the song are just, like, eccentrically, charmingly clumsy. Yeah, I was going to say, on the night they drove Old Dixie down, during the, I think it's the third chorus, it's like they forget that they're going to the chorus. You can tell, I mean, when you listen to it again and again, you can tell that they know, but they're like holding back before they're like, the night, you know, it's like this very, Mm -hmm. very labored. So it's as if they were like late night drinking or something and they almost forget the the lyrics and then it like all comes out in the chorus, you know, once they get to the chorus, it's fine, but sort of stretch out these lyrics to, to purposefully kind of be loose it's still on time but it's like this they they pull back in this like loose way There's so much cohesion, like, to the band and to this record, and it's not really my jam of the century, period, but, like, like back to forth, like, it was, like, an enjoyable, like, listening experience. Uh, the only thing, like, that ever threw me on it, uh, what was the song that we were listening to before that where the guy was like, oh, my, my voice is like this and I'm talking about the ladies dancing. Is it Jemima Surrender? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I'll show you my tattoo. <laughs> yeah, like, so the the clavinet and uh, the clavinet and Cripple Creek, and then that fucking high ass voice. Like those are the only two things that are like, what? Why? Why is this happening? Yeah, I didn't really like Rocking Chair, which were. Did Rocking Chair seem like a song that 
they put on the record because they spent so much fucking time on it, even though they were all kind of like, this sucks. <laughs> it's probably, it's a bit of a filler. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it really does feel like that they may have spent the most time recording that, and they only put it on because it, it was like out of like, well, this has to be on here now. <laughs> we've, yeah. we've invested too much time exactly, and resources yeah. into yeah. this rocking chair. Yeah, that, that, you're absolutely right. That's a, that's a fucking stinker, Birch. <laughs> yeah. That's a bad song. I wouldn't call it a stinker, but I, I'm partial. Uh, I'm partial. Yeah, I'm yeah. What do you think, overall? I, it, it's better than the first record, and I thought, oh, the, yeah. I thought the first record was pretty good. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say... It's good listening, and yeah, there's a whole bunch of shit that happened because of this. So yeah, I'd say positive. Yeah, I would also say positive. There's a few songs on here that I just are not into, but I respect and understand what they're doing with the music and how it's con. It it's got such a natural vibe mm-hmm. of of like a community of guys just doing something that they love and they're all kind of contributing in different ways and it's like it feels like a real i don't know i don't want to say uh it's like a co- it, it is like a commune it's like a commune mm-hmm. that formed a band and it's not too hippie it's the right amount of laid back and rock and roll mm-hmm just like lazy, good old boys that also like weed. <laughs> you know? like yeah. they like work. They like working the fields. They're but they also like weed. <laughs> they're like a CCR, but they smoke weed yeah. instead of being CCR, who is completely straight laced and, and to the point. They're the lazy version of, of <laughs> lazy CCR. Lazy CCR. You heard it here first. <laughs> Uh, you, you may have gathered. I'm, I'm a big fan of this record. I've liked this record for a long time. Uh, it might be, it's probably in like Desert Island top 25 Whoa. for me. Yeah. Uh, I think that the, the, the cover on the, the front, the photo of them, it was cool enough for me to pull it out of a stack when I didn't know who these guys were. Cause it's just like, you it's know, like, type. well, it's, it's, it's kind of it's hard to date them in time because it's a black and white picture and they're all wearing just real like traditional timeless uh, attire. But then there was something else about the picture, the mood of the picture. I couldn't quite put my finger on until I read Levon Helm's uh, autobiography that it was just piss and rain and no one wanted to be there. And that was the photo shoot. And in the picture, you you can't quite tell that it's raining on him. But just like everyone just has kind of like that stoic expression of I'm being rained on. And it comes across visually without like without knowing what it was. It just kind of makes a for a cool band picture. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it does. <laughs> when you look at old photos, I feel like a lot of times people have a just like very blank expression. Uh, those old tintypes. Yeah. I think it was just raining in all of those pictures. I yeah. think what the secret the, was. The other thing, too, is uh, being a a photo guy um they had to hold that pose for long enough to to get the exposure and so for to smile for you know five minutes or something like that no one's gonna do that especially when it's raining exactly (laughs) so all right that might be part of what it is just like that their expressions and the black and white picture and the timeless attire it almost reads like an old like 19th century tintype you know 
All right, next time we'll be talking about Led Zeppelin 2. Electric Boogaloo! The deuce. Thanks, y'all.